Has your inner peace been challenged by all of the upheaval in 2020? Join beloved new thought leaders, Reverend Ellen Debenport, Reverend Michael Gott, Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell, and Reverend Sheila McKeithen for Practicing the Principles in Uncertain Times, a Unity online event on October 9th, 2020 from 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time. Register at unity.org slash practicing principles. That's unity.org slash practicing principles. Honoring those who are making a difference in our world. The New Thought Walden Awards are given to those who use empowering spiritual ideas and philosophies to change lives and make our planet a better place. Here's an exclusive interview with one of the 2020 honorees. Everybody. Welcome to the 2020 New Thought Walden Awards podcast series. I'm Martha Creek, and today I am blessed, honored, tickled, delighted, and overjoyed to be talking with Lynn McTaggart, who is a champion of change. We thought so much of Lynn, our committee, and the work that she has been doing in the world. We made a special category for her, and I get a chance to talk with her today. Um, The Walden Wards are administered by a joint partnership of seven of the country's largest New Thought organizations, Affiliated New Thought Network, Agape International Spiritual Center, Association for Global New Thought, Centers for Spiritual Living, Divine Science Federation International, Unity Worldwide Ministries and Unity World Headquarters, and Universal Foundation for Better Living. So these award program honors those who are using empowering spiritual ideas, philosophy, science to change lives and to change our planet, making all of us and the world, the planet, a better place. So we'll launch right into this, Lynn. My gratitude for you and on behalf of Walden Awards Committee is really unspeakable what you've done already in your life and in your service is um, could not be summed up here in any kind of interview. I know for 30 minutes, but we'll just go right in here and just know that our deep appreciation is established here for you and a, a deep bow to you in honor of what you have done. And thank you so much. Um, I'll get into your bio will be included here on the podcast And I want to just launch right into what you are observing now in the world, having done uh, your central authority in science, consciousness, authors of books. I'd say, I don't even know, is it 10 books? (laughs) Seven that I know of. Yeah, seven. (laughs) Three more than in the harbor. You must have three more that's coming. So um, have been vital in serving new thoughts. So many of the people listening to this are going to be aware of you because you've been at this so long and of your powerful writings and the teachings and the way you've led. So share with me what you're observing right now about the time we're in and what you have um, learned yourself over the course of your studies. Okay. Well, um, Back in 2008, after the financial crisis, um, everyone was talking about how we're going to evolve. This is part of evolution. And they discussed it as though it was, you know, an automatic event. 
that we didn't have to do very much. We could just sit here and we were just going to magically transform. And people even thought it was, you know, with the 2012 coming up and the Mayan long count calendar predicting the end of the world, people were saying, well, it's the completely the end of the world as we know it. And of course, after that crash, people were talking about, you know, the end of capitalism as we know it, the end of, you know, oil, the end of food because of the end of oil and of course the end of the world. Um, but from my perspective, I felt that nothing much did change. You know, the banks bailed out, um, the banks got bailed out and everybody kind of went back to sleep. And now is a very interesting, different time. Now we've been essentially slapped awake you know, we have this major epidemic and an economic fallout as a result. And so people are recognizing um, that something really is changing here. And I think what's changing here is, as my friend and colleague Irvin Laszlo called it, we're in the midst of a bifurcation, meaning we can we have a fork in the road and we can go one of two ways. We can go back to sleep or we can take what we're learning about what's really important in our lives, what's really essential in terms of connection, community, service, and start looking to a different way of being. And I think that's really what's going on. I think what's ending is the full sense of who we really are. And in that ending is the only path to a better future. And thank you for that. Uh how, having observed that then, and particularly these last 12 years since the 2008 that you reference, um, I get a sense just from listening with you that you have some optimism, that you have a, a speck of hope there. So, I mean, you're considered, uh, Lynn, as one of the world's 100 most spiritually influential people. So what could you say to us, these listeners and students and followers and people that are like me that have our own calling to be uh, influential also in the world to, to shift what you're describing here? So speak about that. Like, what's the hope if we um, have fallen asleep at the last time around. Like, what have we really learned in 12 years or to, or uh, since creation, really, but particularly since our last time of hitting the snooze button? Where's the hope for us? <laughs> okay, what a great question. So, first of all, I think we're seeing a big value shift that we didn't see the last time. This time, you know, we have been on the firing line. We've been watching loved ones die. We've been seeing this epidemic that no one knows how to handle. And suddenly the value shift is huge in that the people who we are really honoring now are the frontline workers. You know, the ordinary folk who are bringing us our groceries, you know, from supermarkets and the people on the front line, the nurses and doctors. And all of those people who kept us going during this lockdown suddenly are the big heroes, not celebrities anymore, not the fabulously wealthy, but in a sense, some of the, you know, the lowest paid workers are suddenly our big heroes. You know, up until recently, I live here in the UK and every Thursday at eight o'clock, we all went out our front doors and banged our hands together and banged our pots and pans together as a thank you to the National Health Service. Um, we were saying thank you to all those nurses working under and doctors working under incredibly difficult conditions to try to save people. So there is that. There's this value shift. 
that we're suddenly seeing is, is really, really different. But we also recognize that we are polarized as almost never before, and that has been um, emphasized once again with all of the racial protests going on since the death of George Lloyd. Now, this is discouraging to see, but I am encouraged by the scene that occurred over this weekend in um, my hometown of London. Um, there was a counter protest to the Black Lives Matter protest. And this was the alt-right movement, very far right movement who are essentially racist and in the main. And they came to protect the statues that were being attacked by some members of the Black Lives Matter movement or people who were just wanting to vandalize. And they came to protect that. And anyway, there were all kinds of scuffles and they were looking for a fight, I think. There were all kinds of scuffles one guy of that movement fell down on the ground, white guy, and he was about to get crushed by the crowd and he was uh, being set upon and beaten. And all of a sudden, a black man scooped him up, a guy who is a personal trainer and a grandfather who lives in Southwest London and brought him to safety. And he just said, you know, everybody, that picture went around the world with a black guy lifting a white guy to safety. And um, a lot of people called him a hero and he said, no, I just did what I had to do. And I thought that was kind of symbolic of what I see and hope may happen. Now I've seen this, as you know, I run these things called intention experiments where we invite people from around the world to send intention to a a scientifically controlled target. And I've run 33 of these to date, everything from making seeds grow faster to purifying water to lowering violence in war-torn and violent areas. I've done those peace experiments seven times to trying to heal somebody of PTSD. And of those 33 experiments, 29 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. But that isn't the interesting part of the story. The interesting part of the story is what happens when warring people, people who are polarized, come together and do one of these intention experiments. What is, after all, a kind of form of uh, secular prayer, secular collective prayer? So I did this a few years ago in a special studio in, um, in South England, in Southern England, that had the capability of beaming out to nine different locations. So we put cameras in eight different Muslim cities and Arab, Arab cities around all of the Gulf states from Saudi Arabia to Kuwait to Oman. And then the ninth camera we put in an auditorium full of Israeli Jews. Now these two, or two groups of people have been brought up to hate each other. Most of them have never even seen one of the other, other faiths. Nevertheless, we came together, did an intention experiment to lower violence in Jerusalem. And then through this special equipment, I could talk to each, each group and all of them, and they could talk back. The different um, auditoriums full of people could talk back. And so here we have this amazing situation of the Israelis and the Arabs, both crying, both saying, your God is my God, both sending love to each other, just connecting like never before. 
it was extraordinary. And I've seen that several times. I did that also with a group of Arabs and Americans uh, on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Same thing happened. Love being sent back and forth, your brothers from far away, all of that relating to each other, befriending each other and forgiving each other. And so I'm very hopeful that this is a mechanism. This kind of collective prayer is a mechanism for bringing people who have been polarized together. And that's one of my main concerns right now. Well, you, what you've done here, and I wanted to, that was important to me to bring out in our discussion today, just the profound nature of what you're doing. You know, some of us in New Thought take a, a bit of a rap about being woo-woo-ish and too far into the world of magical thinking and that, and that the work that you are doing is underpinned in pure scientific efficacy in experiments, it's 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 in academia, in this, and and the high level big schools, Princeton, MIT, Stanford, and around. So I want the listeners today to to that would discount any kind of even spirituality or magical woo woo positive thinking to to hear from you that you this is all um um very scientific based very highly regarded and that 29 out of 33 of these intention experiments which is the title of one of the books by the way for those of you that haven't discovered this yet the intention experiment is 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 the title of the book and and what uh, Lynn is referring to here is all documented and 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 um, laid out there for anybody to read and to understand so speak a little bit about then the merging of spirituality and science and what you could say to somebody that would say, oh, it's nonsense or it's magical thinking. Could you speak to that to maybe broaden the scope a little bit or broaden the respect for this type of work and the type of possibility and the probability we have that your optimism is grounded, not just um, false hoping or wishful thinking? Sure, Martha. I mean, first of all, I started out doing this work in 2007 as a profound skeptic. I mean, I have a background as an investigative reporter, and so my default position is skepticism. And I remember hearing in the early part, after right after the millennium, about a lot of things about manifestation and, um, and you know, the law of attraction. And to all of this, I had a certain amount of, you know, open-minded skepticism. I had done a book called The Field, and there were plenty of studies in there demonstrating that thoughts are not only things, but thoughts are things that affect other things. And so the journalist in me basically said, well, how far can we take this? You know, are we talking about a, just a very subtle process like shifting a quantum particle, or are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? So that's why I set up the intention experiment. I wanted to test this and test it to the limit because at the time um, the field was in 30 languages. So I knew I had readers around the globe and I also knew a lot of scientists working in consciousness research, uh, re you know, research as a result. So I thought if I just put them together, I'd have the biggest global laboratory in the world. And that's essentially what I did every so often. I would ask one of the scientists, and as you say, we had 
Gary Schwartz, Dr. Gary Schwartz, a noted psychologist from the University of Arizona, and Rustam Roy, the um, the late Rustam Roy, who is was probably the world's expert on water from Penn State University, and the pair team from Princeton University were were advising, and then we had uh, University of California, the top statistician there, professor of statistics, Dr. Jessica Oates, and many, many more. Um, Russian physicist, Dr. Konstantin Karatkov, um, uh, the late Dr. Fritz Popp from Freiburg, um, who was, you know, these were all very prestigious scientists who had done a lot of work in consciousness research. And so I asked them to set up very well-controlled experiments. So typically, for instance, with a set of seed experiments we did with the University of Arizona, they would set up four trays of seeds, send me photos of all four. Uh, we would select with our audience one set of seeds to send intention to. The scientists wouldn't know which ones we were sending intention to. We'd tell them we were done once we'd finished the experiment. They would plant the seeds, and five days later, they would measure the results. And um, it was only then when we would that we would unblind the study and tell them which ones we'd sent intention to. Now, we ran that study six times in front of audiences in five different locations, including places like Sydney, Australia, um, where we were sending intention to seeds sitting back in Tucson, Arizona, 8,000 miles away. And in every instance, we had a significant effect on those seeds. They grew significantly higher than controls. And so we did with water. Even the peace experiments, we got several years worth of data on injuries and deaths in whatever area we we're sending intention to. And we did Sri Lanka during its civil war. We did Afghanistan during the ongoing war after 9-11. Um, we did St. Louis, Missouri, the, you know, uh, essentially the uh, officially uh, most violent place in America, a section of St. Louis, Missouri. And in every instance, we would gather information on violent um, violence, uh, violent crimes like um, injuries and deaths, or you know all kinds of violent crimes in the case of St. Louis. And in every instance, we have evidence, and this is long-term evidence from before our study, several years before, and then looking at what happened six months after our study. And looking at all of that and measuring it through our professor of statistics, we demonstrated a lowering of violence in every single instance of the seven intention experiments, peace intention experiments. But as I say, Martha, that's pretty interesting. It certainly is scientific. But the more interesting thing for me was this mirror effect that was occurring with our participants. That was the thing that was extraordinary to me. Um, when we started doing peace intention experiments in 2008, with the first one, which was Sri Lanka, I did uh, a survey afterward. I surveyed my participants, and I got back thousands of responses of people saying things like this. You know, I am closer to my boss and my coworkers now, or I've got along now with my estranged partner, or my you know, my son, who hasn't spoken to me for three years, suddenly called me up and we're getting along now. And 
also about 50% said, I'm in, more in love with everybody I come in contact with. People were essentially hugging strangers. I was just flabbergasted by this, but I found it in every single time that we've done it. Something happens to people when they leave their own little sense of separation and enter into a state of unity. And that's exactly what happens during these experiments, during these intentions. Well, that's, that's also um, what inspires me on a daily basis. And in my short journey through this, and I've been playing with this since I was a child and, and, and much more informally, but I was aware of something even as a child that operated like this. And I saw it as so practical, <laughs> like, uh, wouldn't you do this? And people even ask, like, why to pray? And I said, well, because, like, you just pray. You'd want to pray. You'd want to set an intention. You'd want to believe that there's something else possible. We're built for this. We're innovative, collaborative, creative, causative, you know, um, uh, engines here in our mind, in our heart, in the consciousness of this. And um, I've, I'm part of this new thought Lynn, over the years, so a little over a hundred years, new thought has existed in various channels in that, and it's a t typically about shifting consciousness, expanding consciousness, and also using our thoughts, intentions, and actions as causative, generative uh, energy um, mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. And we still witness then. Um, what we're witnessing here, like a societal regression or whatever it is, disease increases in that. So mm -hmm. what would you say? So um, I, when, in one of my, what I pulled from one of the readings and the, and the, 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 this last, the, and then the um, intention experiment was this, it forces us to rethink what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. change our mind about what we think being human is about and to deepen and purposefully accept and integrate and live from our reality, a new realization that we are connected to everyone and everything. So the quote, what about the other? And it's like, well, there is no other <laughs> becomes more than just a theory. So what would you say then that this kind of discovery that you that you have and that some of us know um, at a, at a um, less sophisticated scale demands us then and employ and, and employs us um, to pay better attention to our thoughts, to our intentions and actions? Speak about that. Sure. Well, I always say, Martha, that people are leaky buckets. You know, we think that our thoughts are locked inside our heads, but the evidence shows that thoughts are trespassers. You know, there's, there's some very good evidence that thoughts are somehow connected to the light that we beam out from our bodies. Um, scientists have demonstrated that we, all living things, send out a tiny current of light, and we do as well. And some studies have demonstrated that that light is synchronicitous. When you send it out, other living things send out a synchronicitous light, and particularly from our own species. Now, um, what we know about this light also is that it's global in the body, and we know that it changes when we send intention. 
there have been some interesting studies of healers showing that when they heal, they send healing thoughts, the light in their dominant hand coming out of their dominant hand increases and it changes. So basically what we also know is that thoughts are trespassers. They go into other people and things. And I've been able to measure that. I've been able to demonstrate it with many of the students in my classes that we are, you know, we are sending our intention into everything from our food to our loved ones to the people we don't like, etc. And so what this really means is that, yes, we are all connected in this psychic Internet. We're all connected with the field. We live, we exist within the field. We are all part of it. Our subatomic particles are having a dance with each other all the time. But we also need to start being mindful of what we're thinking because it's not locked inside our head. It's being felt. It's being held. It's being heard. It's being replied to. So it's really important that we understand that. But we also have to understand that if there isn't a difference between me, you, and me, then that really demands a very different way of thinking. I mean, one of the things I wrote about a lot in my book, The Bond, were about dealing with the other. People who have different points of view than yours. And of course, we tend to demonize them. We tend to say, well, if you don't agree with me, I must destroy you. And we're seeing a great deal of that at the moment. But one of the things that I teach is all about listening deeply from the heart. When you hear when people have a different point of view than yours, and you hear why they came to believe what they believe, it enables the heart to leap across the fence. A perfect example of that is a thing that occurred some years ago at Planned Parenthood, where there were there was a shooting there. And when that happened, uh, both the right to life and the right to free choice people got together and said, you know, we have to do something about this. This is extreme. And um, so they began meeting in secret and they started learning how to tone down their inflammatory language and listen to what the other person had to say about why they'd come to their position. And they started learning how to do things together. So when there was another threat on Planned Parenthood, it was the right to life people who tipped off the right to choice people. So they held a, um, a press conference at the end of a couple of years to say that they'd done this. And the press, of course, said things like, well, so who won the debate? And they said, well, no one, because we shared why we believe what we believe. And because of that, we believe what we believe even more firmly. And they said, oh, so it was a failure then. And they said, oh, no, because now we go out together. We party together. We watch each other's children. We love each other. And that kind of sharing deeply, being vulnerable, essentially, is a really important way to get the heart to leap across the fence. That and sending a positive intention to the other. You know, we always tend to have all of those negative thoughts about people we don't get along with, but we don't think about what would happen if we sent a positive intention to them. And I, I invite everybody to try that and see what happens.
Well, I hope that if anybody takes anything from this <laughs> chat and conversation and this creation that we've done here together today, that they take that invitation, particularly when they've tried everything else in the world. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you want to try this, even if you think it's a harebrained idea, to go ahead and give it a go and to, to approach this more like a laboratory that we're in. And, you know, to say you don't have to believe what Lynn says, or certainly it's not what Martha Creek says, but to say, I'm going to test this for myself and have your own direct experience of it. So I hope that everybody will go away with that. And certainly to check out this Lynn McTaggart, these books, these seven books, and the intention experience been referenced here, The Bond, The Field, many others. Also, uh, her website, lynnmctaggart.com to get in touch. We didn't even get in today to your get well solutions, which are profound. Um, so check that out too. get well dot solutions and the, the study and the work that you've done as co-editor or co-owner and director of what doctors don't tell us. So I know that that's a very popular topic. Now you can read about that in health magazines and in the books too. So, I would I would love to just keep going here and we've got a limited time Lynn with what we can do. So sure. sincere thank you for your life's work, for your commitment, for your uncommon stamina, your uncommon stamina to to Well, thank you so much Martha. And um I will just recommend people too for lockdown to look at my latest book The Power of 8 which is The Power of Intention in Small Groups which has been essentially a lifesaver for people when they've been cut off from their relatives and their loved ones. Setting up a power of eight group can change your life and change the world. Thank you for speaking that. My last newsletter was on that, the effects of anxiety uh, in times of isolation and how that we wouldn't call it isolation, but um, we've been isolated in some way. Now, will they be able to find that just by going to the Amazon like the other channels? Yeah, yes, and they can find out all about Power of Eight groups by coming onto my website. It's the same as an intention experiment, but shrunk down to a group of eight where they're doing intention for each other. And what I've found the most powerful thing about it is altruism, the fact that Oftentimes when you want intention for yourself, but you put it on someone else, then that is remarkably healing both for the receiver, but also the sender. And I've been demonstrating that with thousands of groups now, um, people who, you know, in 10 minutes, people who have been healed of lifelong illnesses, people who have had all kinds of windfalls, suddenly healing their relationships, even rediscovering a life purpose. And as I say, I think it's down to, first of all, a feeling of oneness, entering that space of oneness in a small power of eight group, but also the act of getting off of yourself, probably the most powerful of all. Yes. So a collective, collective, primordial and seminal amen. Amen. <laughs> so uh, remember, friends, uh, tell everybody you know to listen to this podcast series. Help us reach the planet as we so intentionally want empowered teachings out to the whole of humanity around the world. 
Uh, Lynn has done that globally for years, and now we'll lift that up again, that it goes out even more deeply, broadly, and profoundly. So this podcast series will be on demand at unityonlineradio.org. You can subscribe to the series through your own uh, um, podcast favorites, Apple, Google, whatever you do, Spotify, and continue to um, be a contributor and a co-inspirer, a co-inspirator with leaders like Lynn, uh, a champion of change to, to create this consciousness, this p- potential and possibility that's been uh, spoken about, proven scientifically, wrote about, and shared here so open-heartedly today. So again, Lynn, deep bow to you. Thank you and Godspeed and all that you do. Thank you so much, Martha. It's been a joy to be with you. We hope you enjoyed this interview with one of this year's New Thought Walden Awards honorees. If you know someone who's making a difference in our world and you would like to nominate them for 2021, please visit WaldenAwards.com. Has your inner peace been challenged by all of the upheaval in 2020? Join beloved New Thought leaders, Reverend Ellen Devonport, Reverend Michael Gott, Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell, and Reverend Sheila McKeithen for Practicing the Principles in Uncertain Times, a Unity online event on October 9th, 2020 from 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time. Register at unity.org slash practicing principles. That's unity.org slash practicing principles.